0: Hi everyone, Uh, Duncan Fletcher here from PADS, very fortunate here today to be be here with Stephanie Thorburn. Stephanie, how are you doing today? I'm
1: doing great, glad to be here.
0: And uh, we're making some history today with the PADS podcast. Our very first guest is the professor of sport management, director of the Institute for Coaching Excellence, and uh, also runs a fascinating lab, the LADDER, Lab for Athlete Development Research. Uh, Dr. Mike Sagas, thanks for coming to the podcast today.
2: Hey, Duncan, Stephanie. Uh, thanks for having me.
0: This is your, your uh,
2: episode one,
0: I guess, here. So great
2: great to be here.
0: Season one, episode one. We got to lead with the heat. Usually, point. yeah. There we go. So let's jump into it, Mike. Uh, obviously, one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is to provide people with some different perspectives on athlete development <laughs> how people have engaged with it, why it matters to them. And I think one of the fascinating things is that you've been around the space for a while and I'd love to kind of hear how, how did you manage to to find athlete development as an area of research for you and an area of interest in general? Yeah, it's become kind of a a calling. And so it's an interesting question. One,
2: I don't ponder very often. I think when you're an academic, you just kind of, uh, you have these goals in the first half of your career, you know, getting tenure and publishing papers and, Working with students, and um, as you get, you know, to the tenure, the tenure process, and you become a full professor, you kind of look at these, the more the process, and not so much the goals of work. And so I'm, I try to reverse engineer this, Duncan, because I've been, we've known each other for a while, and we've yes, launched, we the first, we've we've launched the first athlete development curriculum. You know, in a way, kind of uh, defining this discipline from from the ground up thanks to the work that PADS did and the education committee there at PADS did over the years. So I, you know, I played baseball, college baseball, youth baseball. Uh, all I ever wanted to do when I grew up was coach and coach baseball. Uh, once I got into coaching, so I, I played at the University of Utah. I studied coaching. My undergrad was exercise sports science with a concentration in coaching. wanted to get a master's degree in sport management and go be a college coach. Uh, The university there dropped their their coaching program and their sport management program. So I had very few options. Uh, Ended up uh, making my way to Texas A&M. At the time, my wife took a coaching job. So I figured if I can't be a coach, maybe I can live vicariously through her as a coach. She she joined the Aggies softball team as a coach. Followed her there. They did have a sport management program, got into that program pivoted from from wanting to be a coach. Um, at the time, actually, I was a volunteer baseball coach, so I had two years of baseball experience, coaching experience, junior college in Utah and there at, at Texas AM. and uh, I was a little cutthroat. It was a little, uh, when I was actually coaching, a little cutthroat, a little competitive, felt very incompetent, to be honest. I'm mean, like, man, I'm going to, there's a lot of work to do here. I'm going to be a competent, you know, I played at a, at a pretty much a mid-major school at the time, now in the Pac-12, but at the time we were in the the whack, you know, I mean, this was the big leagues, essentially playing the coach in the big 12. And I realized uh, maybe, maybe my calling is not being a coach, but maybe studying the coach. And I I remember from the very beginning when I was in, when I was my first paper, I wrote my freshman year of college was why college athletes should be paid. And it was in like a sports social class. And at the time, I remember we were riding our buses all over the place from the East Coast, you know, trying to play baseball in the winter out there. And my scholarship was pretty good, but you know, I noticed football guys had better scholarships and they flew commercial and I'm right on this coach, you know, with two, you know, sharing a me and the bullpen catcher sharing a sharing a seat for thirteen hour drives and whatnot. And it's like, you know, being an athlete's not that glamorous. Uh uh and coaching uh maybe is not my calling after all. So anyway, from the very beginning, I, if I look back, I think my first I was always curious about the athlete experience, the student athlete experience youth athlete experience. And I knew if I wanted a coach, it was going to be more athlete centered in a way. Cause I had some coaches that were uh, fairly toxic in my career and, uh, me back in some ways. And then I had some coaches, this completely changed my life, you know, and, and gave me the, the, the confidence, the competence and, and the nudges I needed to, to uh, achieve things. So I realized the power of a coach. I realized the, this, how dependent we are on coaches. Um, then I realized I wasn't going to be a coach, so I pivoted to studying coaches, and I found this discipline called sport management at the time, a pretty young discipline in itself, and went to the conferences, started doing the research on it. My first uh, research paper was on uh, underrepresentation of women in coaching, why so many men were coaching, and, I've, and since then, I've done a lot of work around coaching. Found you guys, I'm try, I was trying to think, I think the, your very first summit, maybe in Orlando, had to be 10 years ago. At the time, I was here already at the University of Florida. So I spent seven years on the faculty at Texas A&M grad school and then seven years faculty. And I'm in my 14th year here in Gainesville. And it was probably about a decade ago. I saw something across our list served, this thing called athlete development. I looked at the philosophy of it. And the conference was down in Orlando. I couldn't go at the time. I had a conflict. I was like, wow, that is, this is brilliant. The mission of this organization, the objectives. I mean, this is kind of like what I've been saying and kind of wrestling with and, and trying to massage and find a way to do my research and teach some, you know, when I teach a sports social class at the time was the closest thing we had to athlete development. We always talked about athlete well-being, athlete health, athlete transitions. But here we now had a, a name for it, you know, and a curriculum and an umbrella that, that connected all these dots. And it was what I also loved about it. It was, I would call it more of a meso discipline than a micro discipline you guys have breadth, you know, and you need breadth of knowledge. And I'm, or like, uh, Epstein calls range. You have range in your knowledge base. And I'm, that's, that's me in a nutshell. I have range. I, I love to connect complex things from multiple bodies of knowledge and assumptions and whatnot. So, so I think uh, I've ended up finally getting to one of your events down at WWE. Got in the ring a little bit. We banged it around, you and I.
0: And, uh... Yeah, we did. And I think if I remember correctly, we found out both to our collective shock that the, the ropes around the outside of those things are made of tugboat cable. Uh-huh. So when I threw my back into it, uh-huh. I just about broke into tears because <laughs> the thing wouldn't move. So I just remember being shocked. That, yep. that was what was going on. So, yeah, absolutely. So that's was probably you and I in the corner both having a good cry after running into those things. Yeah. I remember so who too, it was the date.
1: Who won that one? Uh,
0: Duncan knocked himself out. That's was, right.
1: There you go.
2: <laughs> Pretty much nailed it right there. I was like, I'm not doing that. I'm getting out of here. Uh, but I brought maybe five students down with us, some of my doc students and, and a couple of master students that were interested in the space. And then we finally, I think we just found a home. It's just like, this is where we want to be. Finally, went to uh, I think you guys had an executive level training program up in New York, at the summits. So I was part of that with with some of the pioneers in your your space. were part of that in, in that first class. So it was cool to do the training, and then um, ran into this education curriculum with you and Libba Galloway. I think we're kind of asked us if uh, maybe Tom Living Good as well mentioned that you have this curriculum, and I was like, you know, we might take a shot at it. Let us study it. And that's kind of brings us to, you know, when we launched our program about six years ago.
0: Absolutely. No, I think that's uh, that's a great kind of background and kind of how you got into it. I think it was, one of the things I was, was kind of laughing at, you were going to study coaching and then you married a coach. So would you have your own lab on a day-to-day basis you were working with there, right? Yeah, exactly.
2: That, that was exactly right. We'd go to dinner with the other coaches and travel with the team. The athletes were there. It was, and even when I coached my own teams it was um, always a student of the game i'd have my own like coaching manuals and i'd read all this this stuff and i'd have practice plans down to just really interesting things and it was always athlete centric you know and just like worried about the athlete's well-being their emotions or to the extent i could i was a young guy but you're right no i lived it and uh just you know we were all kind of a result of our experiences a collective um uh, process of developing, but for sure, that really helped me a lot to understand athlete development. And then we launched, you know, I think we might get to, we launched this institute just this year and we chose the umbrella of at coaching excellence, um, instead of athlete development, because really, you know, the, the, and we can get into that. I mean, they're, they're quite integrated and, uh, you can't really do one without the other in our, from our perspective.
0: One of the things you said that I was interesting is that you actually grew up, you said you had, or while you were playing, you had some toxic coaches. I'm just, I'm not sure you want to call anybody out, but I'm curious what you experienced that maybe really sort of formulated your approach to how do you fix that problem? Yeah, and that, that was really the, the,
2: the knock in the side of the head that got me thinking about this. It's like, you know, because I had this amazing coach in the latter half of high school. that really changed my life and became maybe the most important male figure in my life. And it was a catalyst for me to even go to the university. I went to the university of Utah and just even the playing college, this guy just changed my life. And I was like, how can that guy do it? He's only a few years older than I was at the time. Um, And then I went to college and this dude, man, he just, he's just a old school and uh, it it beat me down. It beat me down. I thought I was just soft. I learned a lot from this, this guy, he ended up playing in the, he coached in, in major league baseball for a while and, um, you know, he taught me a lot, brilliant guy, but, um, was anything but athlete centric, very coach centric, very hierarchy, very power and, and a lot of, you know, fear tactics and intimidation and things to motivate players. And, you know, I just figured there had to be a better way. I experienced a better way, I experienced this, this, uh, you know, persuasion and, you know, tough love and. But not breaking a guy down in order to build him up, um, you know. And we still we still see this today. There's still a few of these coaches left, but they're slowly but surely getting uh, flushed out of the system. Fortunately,
1: that leads me to to my question. You discussed briefly about the coaching excellence as well as the athlete development work. So, what are what are the tools or tips or resources that you're providing the coaches to? be a more effective coach in the way that they're dealing with their athletes. And then for the athlete, they're not always going to get the coach that they resonate with that coddles them, um, that provides discipline yet love and structure. So what are some techniques or resources or tools that you're utilizing? So the athlete can be successful regardless of the coaching style and for the coach to be aware of um, the effectiveness when they're not that old school die hard coach um, but view the athlete kind of that holistic approach, which is what athlete development really is all about.
2: Yeah. And I, I think that the latter where you ended there is kind of the, the main question of our day right now in, in coaching and athlete development is, you know, the, the dynamics have changed uh, uh, dramatically. They were gradual. And then after COVID, and I'd say the summer of 2022, where we saw or 2020, when we saw, you know, more powers, just the power dynamic shifting a bit. So how do we, how do we keep athletes well and not damage them and not exploit them yet still get absolutely every ounce of energy we can out of these young people and, and help them reach their goals, you know, at the same time while the coaches reach their goals. So it's a focus on the process I think is where the pivot was. We partnered our coaching curriculum. We've partnered with a organization called what drives winning um, and, um, I would say a real thought leader in this space, uh, Brett Ledbetter. We hired our former soccer coach here, Becky uh, Burley, who coached 23, 24 years for the Gators, won a national championship in her second or third year. Um, She's now our professor of coaching, professor of practice of coaching. So we've, you know, and they they do basically adhere to the same um, principles that, that I just mentioned, though. It's about character development. It's about the process. It's you know, the athlete second, the process first. Um, And they've, what I like about what they're doing for us, for their space and what they've integrated in our classrooms is they've they've taken more of a grounded approach, which I appreciate. And in some ways they haven't really looked at the body of knowledge that we have in coaching and say, right, here's the curriculum and the discipline and we're going to build something top down. They basically went to the athletes first and then they went to the coaches and the people that support them, the sports psychologist. and you know, Jim Lair is a real influential figure. And in, in, uh, he's he's been um, a pad speaker in the past. Um, you know, that it's just how do we build, how do we change, basically disrupt? Um, Becky used to call it a revolution, like we're changing the system. Um, and it, it is around that that idea of athlete centric. I wouldn't say athlete centered, because athlete centered has this kind of, I mean, the athlete can't have all the power. There Has to be an interdependence. Can't just be a just an athlete doing running, doing what they need. They need structure. They need coaching. They need guidance. They need the air feedback when they make mistakes, and they need some tough love and gain resilience and to gain you know a lot of these uh, emotional psychological skills that can help them and to get better in their sport and in life after sport. Um, and I think through that, I, the short answer to that, Stephanie, would be. I think it takes a village now. I think we understand this concept that we used to rely heavily on just a coach. The coach had all the power The coach made all the decisions and we're seeing it now in professional sports, college sports, youth sport. You know, the athletic trainer has power if, well, around head injuries. The physicians have power. The athlete themselves has, have power. Even if they can't collectively bargain it, they have a say and they, they could take now to the, to the public facing media and social media and plead their case and, and, uh, coerce some movement and shape you know through resistance or activism whatever it is the things that we cover in our athlete development program Uh, but it's become more collective in how we approach athlete development for winning obviously from for on-field success and then without discounting that there are costs there's huge opportunity costs being an athlete and how to mitigate those uh, limit those and then remediate them when we do They're real costs You're, you're an athlete for four or five years you give up a lot of your intellectual well-being you give up a lot of some emotional well-being some relationship well-being and we got to do our best to kind of pick up that so i think there's just more openness now that, all right we can develop character at the same time we develop grit and resilience and desire and extrinsic motivation things that you'd have to have in order to be a, a uh, elite athlete or just reach your potential whatever that is If it's not necessarily on a on the grand stage, but whatever your potential is. So I don't know if that really answered that, but it it is, that's, that's actually a work in progress. I don't think we have a clear answer for that, but that is the essence of what the next generation of this discipline coaching, I would say, and athlete development needs to solve. We need to focus on that question.
1: Well, and I think that's important to share because the field of athlete development, the field of coaching, um, is evolving. And if you don't stay up with those trends, you're you're no longer a value. Um, and I think it's also interesting, your, your journey, your perspective to those individuals that are listening, that are perhaps new to the field, they're not sure kind of where they belong. Athlete development doesn't just look like one thing. Um, athlete development spans many um, sports and many disciplines within those sports. So you're professing your knowledge to your students. um, But you've been an athlete, you had the the want to be a coach, and and now you're utilizing those experiences to help others. And I think that's great. Because, you know, again, often people think athlete development is just um, player development or just player engagement, you know, working at a team or league, and it can have different shapes and, and forms. And I think that's great to share with those that are listening.
0: Yeah, great, great summary. I think it's, it's actually really quite cool because I didn't realize how much of a coaching background you actually had, Mike. I know that we've known each other for a while. And we're just getting to really know each other today, which is great on the podcast, which is fantastic. Yeah. But I'm curious, you know, based on your research, based on your coaching experience, um, what has sort of surprised you about where the field of athlete development is now? And in, in, in terms of how you've seen it move, like you've already kind of hit on that, but what's really jumped out at you is sort of like maybe the number one thing that's kind of shocked you about your experiences in working in the space and your research and in terms of what really moves the needle? Yeah. And I, I think it's a kind of a
2: cultural shift. So these aren't like, and these aren't dramatic shifts, although what we saw during 2020, it was, it was a a, a, cat, a catalyst, but it was, that movement was already in progress. It was already moving in that direction, culturally shifting. It takes, you know, in the culture, I'm talking about the, the sport culture, the sport industry culture, the coaching culture um, to shift. So what, you know, athlete development, so my experience in, I didn't get to that. I mean, I coached, but then I also, I was our faculty athletic representative for the University of Florida for 10 years. And that's the, the one faculty member on every campus that, so that oversees athletics on behalf of the faculty, work for the president. I joined the student athlete experience committee and the CAA division one council for four years. I was on the research committee, several working groups for the Southeastern Conference, lots of meetings. I, I mean, I got my hands dirty and I was sitting as a practitioner at the, you know, with athletic directors and coaches and uh, senior women administrators and trying to make time demand law rules and changing uh, early recruiting. I chaired that committee for about a year and a half. It was fun. It was really great. So you got your hands there, but it, that is some sausage making stuff. If you're, if you're looking at policy and you're looking at governance to solve yeah. the problems, you're making some sausage, it's ugly and it's slow. Um, and you can see now even the NCAA has been in crisis for years and they still just can't figure it out. Um, so, you know, and as a practitioner, then I, um, I also had a daughter that played, um, soccer, travel soccer, another daughter that, that did equestrian. Um, so I got to see it too at the youth level and experience the recruiting process. And so all that has evolved. So what is, your question was, what has evolved? What has changed? I think it's been slow. Uh, what has disappointed me the most of that pace, out of that pace is that more universities aren't doing it. I would hope that more we, we, I think athlete development, and I'm biased as it gets should be a core course in a sport management program or a coaching program. If you don't understand the personal development you know the mental health the, even the I, things around brand and media that we cover in our class and financial education and sexual health and well-being and uh, character literacy all you know if you don't understand that and you're only getting the legal, the financial and the, the leadership all oh, that's obviously critical as well it should be a core class and I say that and obviously it's not a core class here it's an elective <laughs> so you know I don't uh, my colleagues don't agree yet but I'm working on them. The there you go in there, but it is, it is a very popular course. A lot of people take it. So that, that's the one biggest disappointment and the biggest shift in athlete development. I'd say we're, we more scholars, more, you know, the disciplines are, is, is real now. You know, that, that's Libba and some of the, and Duncan yourself and some of the trailblazers over there at those early summits, I think kind of uh, moved. You didn't know it at the time that you were developing something. So we have an athlete development journal, we have topics now that at scholars that say I study athlete development. So it's evolved quite a bit. And there is a curriculum. I mean, you really don't have, it's hard to say you have expertise of anything. If you can't define what that expertise is, you kind of need that. You need a curriculum and that's where universities, institutions like universities can really help um, to complement what you guys are doing in the real world, to put some, uh, some meat on the bone and, and structure it in a way where it's a, uh, you know, it's just, it's, it comes to life. The thing kind of builds itself out over time. You fill it in. It's kind of, maybe you guys drew the box for us and we're kind of filling it in now with us. Like, what is it? What's the
0: substance of it? And it's still evolving. Like, uh, you know, I wish we could add three more courses. Yeah, no doubt. Well, we've got the crowns out right now and we're definitely trying to color uh, color in the lines and we still a fair a uh, fair amount. There's a lot of work that needs to be done. But yeah, that's a, I think that's a great analogy is that there's, there's now kind of a, a field that exists and I think that's like you said it's uh in a lot of ways a credit to you know people like Kathleen Stroya, uh Libba Galloway um uh, a lot of folks uh Stacey Robinson uh who unfortunately has passed but was one of the leaders at the NFL Players Association so there some people that really grabbed the bull by the horns and, and led the way forward for sure uh and we're fortunate enough to kind of follow in their wake and I think one of the things that you just kind of alluded to which is a like, maybe a good thing to bring up right now is that over the past few years, we've had this athlete development specialist certificate to help really kind of get basic knowledge and, and skills into the field by helping people get educated that have a, an interest in engaging in it. And maybe you could talk a little bit about the you know, version two of the athlete development certificate that uh, we've got rolling out here in the next few months. Yeah, and so to, to reflect on 2.0, I think it'd be good to
2: just summarize 1.0. So we we launched five years ago, Duncan, I think. Yeah, in the ballpark. Big, yeah,
0: maybe maybe a little bit, I maybe four three, years. but yeah. four, yeah. So yeah. The,
2: one, the first term where we did, we called it the ADSC, Athlete Development Specialist Certificate. The certification comes from PADS as an Athlete Development Specialist. We've had probably 25 to 30 enroll in what we would call our non-credit course, and that's the one we're rebooting here soon, into 2.0. And, and collaborating with pads to do so. Um, but we offer that same curriculum in our master's degree and we're close to a hundred students. We're in the nineties that have received that credential, which again, now these are not all people going into athlete development, not, not all of them aspire to go into athlete development. It's, you know, I'd say maybe 20% of them would love to be, you know, work for the PAs or the teams or the leagues or, or be an entrepreneur in the space or something. But but all these people are leaders and working as coaches and they have this, this knowledge, which is great that they, they adhere to it. It's been a highly rated class, very popular class. Our, by far our most popular elective is is the athlete development course. I mean, it's 60, 70 grad students, all graduate level right now. Um, although we've done some work at the undergrad level, it's just certification is all graduate level right now. Um, so 2.0, we're, we're iterating a bit on 1.0, obviously the world's changed. So as I mentioned, and, um, our perspectives have changed. The science is getting better. The people are getting better. The stories are getting better. and The environment is, is evolved. So just trying to integrate all that. Uh, it's similar in structure. The curriculum guidelines have not changed for PADS. It's the same, but obviously what is covered, how it's covered, why it's covered in each of those. And the you know, there's a lot of liberty within those curriculum guidelines to, to go different around. What's different about this one is I think it's much more collaborative, Duncan and Stephanie. You guys both know you're we're bringing in talent from the industry. These are pads, um, members, uh, practitioners in the field. So giving us the stories and the practice of athlete development. And then we're, you know, we're backfilling that or just kind of complementing that. I would say it's the best way to do it. Back complementing with science around athlete development to the best of our knowledge. So we have um, six modules, uh, very similar to the first Um Iteration of this. First one is working in athlete development. I think most people don't know what this is. Um I, I actually critique in my first lecture. Pads is Pad's definition of athlete development is not very good. It's like overly broad and inclusive. If you watch my lecture, I say it's just, yeah, it's a it's didn't show much courage in that definition there. But I understand why you're trying to be all inclusive and bring a lot of people in to the umbrella. So we we go a little, we take a little liberty and go down and say it's athlete performance development plus athlete personal development, uh, plus at the, at the now at the college level and, and at the professional level, it was athlete business development. So they have to understand the business, the brand, the, the, their own part in the game, even behavior within the game and the rules of the game and operating within that structure. So similar, um, we're not going to change the model. We have an athlete development literacy model that we built the whole curriculum on, and that's basically what the athlete should know. They have to be literate. We always talk about financial literacy, media literacy, but you can have professionalism literacy, you can have transition literacy, you can have um, emotional health literacy, and you can have, you know, sleep literacy. Just, you know, these are all the things that PADS has been, has been educating their their membership on, and we're just bringing it down into a curriculum level. Uh, we did, I would call it, we're still under that umbrella, that the cognitive, the performance side, you know, we cover that really well in sports science, cover it really well in a lot of other disciplines. You know, we know performance. We know technical, tactical coaching, so we don't cover that at all. We, we know quite a bit around um, sports science, performance, performance psychology. So we just give a real introductory, basic cognitive understanding of that. And then we take a deep dive in athlete personal development. About 90% of our certificate is – or the, the, the course is in that space, the personal development. Within there, we do athlete media branding, literacy, athlete career transitions, um, athlete mental health and psychological emotional health well-being um and financial literacy for uh, financial education literacy for athletes we, i would we focus on two buckets now i think the previous we kind of amalgamated all we're trying to have two tracks more of a collegiate student athlete track and a professional track and and we've been able to integrate talent like i said so we you know recently had a great maybe you can reflect on that. you did an interview for us you see duncan's um uh, Duncan's uh, grizz look in our classes now. If you take this class, you see I've seen Duncan when he wasn't so grizzly, but uh he looks great on our cam on our it's like uh, the old the COVID, COVID
0: beard's a little uh it's all over the place. The
2: COVID made an COVID beard made an appearance and you're doing a great job really just pulling some extra essence, good questions of these practitioners. And you know, like we did one, the difference between pro and athlete development. Even though we have two tracks, there's a lot of complimentary transferable knowledge and um, and a lot of just just really, it's been a really great um, development process to get all this information in real time now. You know, I mean, it's the 2022, we're going to keep evolving it. 23 will add more content, 24 more content, because it is evolving, as we talked about slowly but surely. So so 2.0, it, it, is, a, it is more practical than 1.0. Um, it is still underpinned by the best science, the evidence that we have around this. Uh, Our wheelhouse is career transition and development. Uh, That's probably where we get the heaviest lift of us, where you see UF facing education. But where we don't have expertise, we brought it in. So we have scholars from multiple universities, multiple disciplines. Uh, I tried to count when preparing for this. It's maybe close to 25 people that you'll see if you took this course, 25 individuals. So you don't see my face or your, your beautiful COVID my beautiful, uh, bearded, beard, beard. bearded mug. There you, you know, go. See the Grizz every every week, or or my bald head every week. You get to see a lot <laughs> of really interesting and talented people providing insights and and pondering some really good questions around this, around the athletes as the you know the, really the core product and service and the most important thing in our industry. So I think we all share that. Anyone that appears on the, in the course. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. And I could agree more. I think it's uh, very, very cool how we've been able to incorporate, um, in, in version two of this, uh, educational experience, all of these different voices from different, you know, different perspectives. And I think that that hopefully adds some really meaningful depth to those individuals that want to go through this experience. So as we're uh, getting close to wrapping up here, I'm going to throw it over to my colleague, Stephanie to rip the second last question of the podcast off here so steph over to you what do you got
1: yeah you know mike you were just talking about version 2.0 and the value of having the practitioners share their perspectives i was just wondering is there anything glaring um that comes to mind from the the new content that has been captured the difference of 1.0 to 2.0 how the sport how sports have evolved the the field has evolved um, you know, any like golden nuggets that stand out right now that you could share with, with those individuals that are listening.
2: Yeah. maybe a, it's a tough question, Stephanie, for those, the softball. Right
1: Stephanie comes in with like
0: the sledgehammer and you're just that's oh, like geez. a 92 mile an hour <laughs> slider on the outside black.
2: How <laughs> do I don't handle that. Wow. Um, I'll try to foul it off here though, that, <laughs> cause I, I would go back to my, uh, I, I actually, when I listen to these and I'm not conducting all of them, but I'm obviously writing the assignments and integrating, I'm actually asking the people to help us to write, uh, look at the assignments I write, make sure they're, they're indicative and practical enough, but yet, and grounded enough. They're not just busy work, you know, where actually <laughs> critical thinking and whatnot is, is coming through on these. And uh, maybe it's something you can use in the real world at the same time. So this is all practitioner facing. So, I mean, these are, real skills you can use. I would say that village kind of mantra that I think we're hearing a lot. is like it used to be, we used to operate in silos and it was okay. You know, we just uh, check some boxes, bring in the financial guy, bring in the media person, bring in the nutritionist, bring in the sleep expert. Now it just seems like, you know, there's way more overlap. The Venn diagrams are starting to, of all these sub are starting to overlap in ways where you, you really need to communicate better across the ecosystem, within the ecosystem. Um, and you got to have language to do that, you know? So I, I think that we're seeing that as well. A lot, lot more commonalities between the different areas than, you know, they all have the, kind of the same, um, they have different verticals, but they all kind of have the same goals in the end. And so I would say that's one new, um, and it changes the way we're, we're teaching it too. Like our assignments are now more integrated across modules, Rather than just saying, you know, we might bring up some media principles now in transition and career and, you know, we cover elevator pitches in career. We're bringing it into covering it as well in your branding. because You know, those are the kind of things you need to be able to communicate. So more integration and more integrity into the curriculum rather than just uh,
0: siloed approaches to surrounding this thing that we call athlete development. Yeah, I, I love what you just said because I think that you're, you're really alluding to where this whole thing is really going. And I think that's been fascinating from my perspective, as you look at athlete development, continue to evolve. And like you said, there's been these silos that have sort of existed across the entire industry for some time. And, you know, you've got medical, you've got nutrition, et cetera, et cetera. And the fact now that you're starting to see the athlete development professional become the center of that hub, I think is absolutely fantastic and critical because Bridging that information amongst all those uh, different areas of expertise, and bridging that back to the athlete, and then bridging the athlete into those environments is absolutely critical in order to drive performance. And uh, I know that I'd had that conversation with you. I've had that conversation with with Kathleen, and we were talking about this as you know, as you know, four or five years ago. Is that it looked like where this was going? So it, it's interesting to uh, kind of see it begin to happen and, and with that being said mike i guess the last question i have for you is that if you were to put on your future goggles here and and, and look into where this is going over the next five to ten years in terms of the field of athlete development what what do you see happening uh in the industry and, and you know if you were to hazard a guess what does it start to look like a few years down the line
2: and i'd have to check my biases, my hopes and dreams for, you know, a core course, maybe a major, an athlete development major would be awesome. It was had a following um, right now. We found our home in sport management here at UF. It seems to be a good home, but you never know. Um, you know, we have one journal that, you know, pads has been supporting. We've done some, you know, we're starting to disseminate original content and knowledge around this umbrella. So, you know, I'd say the, the future, I think it's, you just, you, almost you alluded to it, there's, we found some breadth in our approaches. We're less siloed. We have to be more integrated, have more integrity and and vertically integrate what we're doing rather than horizontally, just hoping for the best, but pulling the athlete into that is kind of what you alluded to there. That's harder to do. That is much harder to do. And I, I actually, I break down a bit myself when I start working with athletes, particularly college athletes. I think I'm not sure I'm communicating in the way I need to. Um, this is where our coaching curriculum. This, this guy, brilliant at bringing in the athlete perspective. There's just so many interviews with athletes that he can extract a nugget, and even if it doesn't make complete sense on its surface, you know, extrapolate what that means for practice for a coach. Um, so I would hope that's the next gen. I don't know if it's going to take science and practice, maybe another crisis to get us there or two. You know. Collapse of the NCAA will get us there or something. Whatever you know, we always say that was it or Congress interacting. Stop wishing
0: Mike, stop wishing. I don't know. I mean
2: some some major. I mean, this pandemic really moved the needle for sure um, in many ways for in favor of athletes. So um, absolutely, NIL at least at the collegiate level, and even professional level, they have the rights and uh, there's more social justice than there ever than ever been. There's more rights for athletes, but integrating them into the whole knowledge body of knowledge and practice and expertise that exist it's a little harder i think it's still a little didactic still where you know we're the the professionals we work with you we want you to also be part of community that develops these insights and knowledge and you know maybe can pay it forward in many ways rather than relying on just the professionals to do so so
0: I think that's a great insight and it's probably a great spot to wrap up this, uh, our first podcast, uh, for pads. So, uh, I'd like to thank my colleague, uh, Stephanie Thorburn for joining us. And of course, many thanks to, uh, Dr. Mike Sagas. Mike, thanks a ton for hopping on with us. Today. Yeah. Appreciate it.
2: Thanks, thanks for, uh, sparring again with me,
0: Duncan. It was good. Round oh, two. I'm good. sure we'll keep it going, Mike. I'm yeah. sure we'll keep <laughs> it
2: going. Good. You didn't knock yourself out this
0: time. It was great. <laughs> it's the way Thank, to do thanks it. Thanks
2: for having me. It was good. good All talk right.
0: to awesome. Thanks very much.